thanks for connecting with our online content at Holy Trinity Church in Richmond. We really hope that what we share with you will be a blessing and will help you to continue to grow in your knowledge and love of God. having just passed up, whether you have any New Year traditions at your place. Uh, There are different people I know who've got different traditions. I've got some folks that always go to the same place in New Zealand to bring in the New Year. They go to that same location every single year. Uh, I've got other friends who have an open house for New Year's every New Year's Eve almost without fail. Uh, I'm not huge on New Year's traditions myself. I don't stay up to see the New Year in. I'm likely to be tucked up in bed by 10 o'clock. Uh, it's just not going to happen. There is one new tra- one tradition, though, that I do hold to as a minister of the gospel, as a preacher of God's word, uh, and that is that I start the New Year in the Psalms every year. That is my New Year tradition. So you're having to suffer through my New Year tradition uh, as we take this break of summer Psalms. I think there's some good practical reasons for that as a preacher. Uh, They tend to be a bit lighter, which is nice for this time of year where we've got people coming and going, some folks away, life is busy. They're also good because they stand alone. So when I want to go away on holidays, I can get a visiting preacher in who can do one standalone psalm, uh, and they've probably got one or two up their sleeve, so that makes it a bit easier for me to get away on holiday. But they're also helpful in being standalone for visitors. If you've just turned up for one Sunday, you're not lost in the middle of a series, you can take that one psalm at safe value. So I think there's a few good practical reasons for preaching them, uh, but more importantly, there are some good reasons for us to look at the psalms as we face a new year. Uh, New years are full of unknowns, aren't they? I think I I talked about that last week. We don't know what this year is going to hold for us. The psalms are helpful for us because they help us to hear the heart cries of God's people who are in difficult times, who are going through trials and trouble, And so they remind us of his faithfulness in the deep, dark moments. That's a great way to set up for the year ahead. They also remind us where to place our praise in the great moments of joy that will come in the year ahead. I'm sure there will be celebrations and rejoicing in our lives as well as challenges. Knowing that any new year will begin or bring for us both joy and heartache, the Psalms are a great place for us to start the year. They're an encouragement for us to fix our eyes on Jesus in the triumphs and to remember all that he's done and is doing for us. And they also are a great place to look at our challenges and trials. They prevent despair and darkness and pride and victory. So that is some of the reasoning behind my New Year tradition of starting in the Psalms. Uh, This morning we open Psalm 19 and we're going to see revealed for us God's goodness. Firstly, generally, as we look at the heavens or the skies in verses 1 to 6, and then we see God's goodness revealed more specifically as we look at his word in verses 7 to 14. This psalm picks on two key themes that travel right through the scriptures, and it brings them together. It's thought that maybe it was two separate pieces of writing to start with, but here they are jammed together as one psalm for us. God's goodness is shown to us generally in what he has made, and specifically in his life-giving word. That's where we're going this morning. Why don't we pray and ask God to help us as we open his word. Heavenly Father, thank you that you speak to us by your word. 
Thank you that the Psalms are such a great place for us to find refuge when life is tough and to rejoice when life is good. Lord, no matter what comes our way this year, we pray that you would draw us to the Psalms. As we think about you revealing your goodness to us this morning, both generally and specifically, would you encourage us all in our faith that we might live in a way that is pleasing to you. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Uh, The opening line of this psalm is wonderful, isn't it? As you look at verse 1, you get this tone and tenor of lifting eyes. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. They're beautiful words, and they paint a stunning image for us of God's wonder seen in the heavens. Uh, This is fantastic poetry, which sums up the wonder that we see in the skies. A wonder which points us to God's goodness in a general way. Uh, In the act of creation, God's fatherly goodness is displayed. His perfection is seen in the amazing order that he's given to this world. In the good things that he's blessed us with, we see God's creation awaken something in the human heart, don't we? When we see the world around us, the beauty that God has painted, we think this can't be an accident. There is something going on here. There is beauty to behold. The heavens, filled with the planets and the stars and suns and moons, they have the same purpose. The psalmist here in these words brings us to a wonderful truth which has its foundations in God's act of creation. All that God has made, all that he has ordered, all that he has given life and beauty to, the sun and the stars, the moon, the things that God has hung in the sky, by day and night are telling us a story. Instagram feed are full of photos of sunsets and sunrises. Uh, There are stunning images like this, which is a local image of our own beautiful backyard. Don't you love it when you see a stunning sunrise? You are awakened to what God is doing. We see this handiwork, these beautiful colours, which are never good on a photograph as they were when you saw them with your eyes, are they? The colours are not as vivid and clear and touching. But we see this and we see a fine artist who is at work. We see someone who is a skilled craft worker. We've got people like that in our church community, people who paint, People who embroider or knit or crochet, they take something and they make something wonderful from it. We've got people who turn wood and create pieces of art. The beautiful things they create, they reflect the skill and the work of their hands, don't they? The artist may not be there explaining to you what they've painted, but you can see their skill. They may not be standing there explaining to you what the painting's about, but they draw your eye to the details which tell a story. It's the same in tapestry, it's the same in embroidery. There is a story being told. Well, the psalmist tells us the heavens have no speech, but they constantly speak of God's glory and goodness. They show us the work of his hands. And when we think about the work of God's hands, it's no surprise that the psalmist specifically focuses on the sun in verses 5 and 6. It's the most prominent feature of the sky, isn't it? except at the moment we've been having a lot of grey skies and a lot of rain. But when the sun is out, we feel its effects. When you think about our lives, we rely on it in a way that makes the sun superior to the moon and the stars. We need it for growth. We need it for warmth. It's interesting in our own stories in Aotearoa, we have a story about Maui and his brothers. 
and they attack the sun and they slow it down. In that story, it's an attempt to describe what the psalmist puts words to. The sun has got a predictable course, doesn't it? We know that it's going up in the morning and it's coming down again in the evening. You can count on it. Even that pattern the psalmist tells us points to God's goodness. There is a predictability in the way he has ordered things. Chaos doesn't reign in our world. Now, from our viewpoint, chaos does exist. Things can very often feel like they're out of control. But the psalmist reminds us that nothing is outside of God's control. Nothing is outside of his order. Even the great sun is under his control. There's a picture here of the sun stunning in its appearance like a beaming bridegroom, dressed up for this once-in-a-lifetime moment of being married in all of its finery. It points us to God's goodness. The sun, in all its strength, kind of like a victorious, muscled, rippling athlete, runs a race on a track. It is controlled. It follows a course in the sky set for it by God. In these two pictures... All of this beauty and majesty and predictability points to God's hand in creation. It shows us his goodness in a general way. Anyone on the face of the earth can look and express awe and wonder at the cosmos, whether it's a thick night sky or the sun beaming. In Romans 1, Paul goes even further to say that if you can see God's good creation, you're without excuse. You must conclude that there is a creator. But this general revelation of God's goodness can lead to worship of the creation instead of the creator, can't it? Like the psalmist, we live in a world still where deity has been ascribed to the sun, the moon, and the stars. People still consult them. It blows me away that people who think the good news of Jesus and what we are doing here is a waste of time would go and put crystals in front of the moon to recharge them and then wave them on their bodies to get the power from the moon. That is a form of worship. It still happens today in Richmond. We live in a world where these things are worshipped and where minds are darkened to God's goodness revealed to us in the cosmos. See, as much as God's goodness is displayed in his creation, in the sun, in the way he graciously gives its warmth to everybody, as much as we see the beauty in the night and the day, that's not where we see God's goodness revealed most clearly. We see it in specific revelation, in God's very word to us. For the psalmist, he's talking about the Torah, sometimes called the law. But for us living here and now, we have the whole of Scripture that we can consult to see God's specific revelation. The proclamation of the heavens is imperfect. But God's law is perfect. It is whole, we are told. It doesn't just give an impression of God's goodness, It explicitly demonstrates it in revealing God's will for us and how we can live in his will. The scriptures are a foundation for a life lived God's way. The Torah witness is described here as whole, and that is the basis for all of the other characteristics that the psalmist describes. Did you pick them up as we read through this morning? God's word is trustworthy, verse 7. It has rightness and radiance, verse 8. Purity and certainty and righteousness, verse 9. What he's telling us is that God's law is good for us. It marks out the boundaries of holy living in the presence of a holy God. Keeping the law isn't a way to gain God's gracious presence, but it is a response to the reality of the holy God already dwelling in the midst of his people, 
for us by his Holy Spirit, for the psalmist by his presence in the temple. God's instruction revealed in his word is whole and reliable and upright and clean and pure and true. And if it's taken to heart, it produces people who live lives with those same characteristics as the Holy Spirit works in us, sanctifying us, making us more like Jesus, who reveals God's word to us perfectly. It's described here as refreshing, as wisdom, as giving joy to the heart and light to the eyes. They're wonderful words, aren't they? But is that how we think of the Bible? Is that how we respond to God's instructions and commands? Do we see them as wisdom or do we see them as a pain? Do we seek refreshment and wisdom and joy in God's word? Or have we given ourselves over to the prevailing worldview that any restriction on our personal freedom is a painful burden that must be borne and not enjoyed? Have we believed that the greatest joy and satisfaction come from being entirely free to pursue our own desires and purposes without, without restriction? The world encourages us to live that way. The world encourages us to see the Bible, God's law, as repressive and restrictive. It's described in our world as something that will take away our satisfaction, something which will spoil life, not give it. But that's not the psalmist's experience. King David had anything he wanted. The writer of the psalm, whenever he wanted it, he could get it. If it was a scorching day in Israel, he was the one who could get hold of cool water. He could be refreshed. If he was confused about decisions and what he should do next, he had sages and advisors on hand who could give him wisdom. If he wanted to buy something, he had wealth beyond reckoning. If he wanted sweet and good things to eat, he had an abundance from all over the world. And yet he describes God's word, the law, as refreshing the soul, as wisdom for the simple, as sweeter than honey and more precious than gold. And friends, we can go even further than the psalmist in these descriptions. We don't just have the law. We have the whole of the scriptures where God has made his goodness known to us in the Lord Jesus. The Torah still has an important place. It has an important place in revealing sin. And as we see the impossibility of keeping the law perfectly, it blesses us. It blesses us by driving us to rely wholly on the gracious mercy of God through faith in Jesus Christ alone. There is nothing we can do to earn salvation in Jesus. We cannot keep the law. We are wholly deserving of God's wrath because of that. But the Torah reinforces that truth by pointing us to God's standard for his people and sets us up for an even greater hope in the Lord Jesus. When we know God's laws, first revealed to us in the Torah and fulfilled in the Lord Jesus, when we see the specific revelation of his word, Old and New Testament, then that should be changing how we live our lives. Look at verse 12. It holds up a mirror to us as we ask the question, who can discern their own errors? I don't know about you, but I'm not so flash at seeing my own errors. Uh, I'm pretty good at justifying going my own way instead of going God's way. Oftentimes, I respond more like Zane than I do like Jesus. But when I read 
you shall have no other gods before me. And love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. That forces me to wrestle with my priorities. That forces me to think about how it is God would have me live my life. It forces me to wrestle with God's instruction and my responses to it. Just wonder how often do we just keep plodding on into attitudes and actions that take us further away from God, not closer to him. The law and the whole of the scripture, though, when we are on that path, plodding away from God with our heads down, stuck on our own agenda, are a warning sign. They point us back in the right direction and they warn us of the danger that we're walking towards. They help us take stock of where we are really at with God. They remind us of repentance, that we need to turn around and head in his direction with the thoughts and heart attitudes which are pleasing to him. Not many of Jesus' people, I hope, look at a wonderful sunset or a wonderful sunrise or that night sky thick with stars and not feel moved to glorify God. If we know him, then we not only acknowledge the beauty of what we see in those things, but his glory and his splendor. We are filled with awe and wonder at the work of God's hands in the heavens, aren't we? I wonder if we've got the same response to the awe and wonder of work of God in his word. What's our attitude towards it? As we see Jesus revealed to us perfectly in the scriptures, as we read the Torah and then acknowledge how our Lord fulfills it perfectly, turning aside the wrath of God and saving us, are we as moved by that as we are by the heavens declaring God's glory generally? I'd hazard a guess that like me, there are times where you read God's word, where his goodness is perfectly revealed to us and you can be a bit indifferent. Friends, I open the scriptures every day as part of my vocation, as part of serving you, as part of teaching the church. And sometimes when I'm doing that, the wonder is lost. I'm not overly moved by it. I'm thinking about how to slice it and share it and how to divide it into points and what application I can bring. There are times where I take what Jesus has done, what God is revealing to us in the very word of life for granted. If I do that, then I'd imagine at 60 or 70 or 80 or 90 years of age, there's a chance that we might all be doing that. We're familiar with the scriptures. Are we still moved by God's specific revelation of his goodness and love? in providing atonement for our rebellion so that we don't have to face his wrath and judgment and fear as described in the scriptures? Are we in awe at what God is doing in his people by his word, which is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, showing us the thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts and where they're contrary to his? Or are we standing in a new year a bit indifferent? Have we lost the awe and the wonder that Jesus is perfectly revealed to us in the Bible? Have we lost the great joy that God speaks to regular people like you and by me? He makes his voice heard through these ancient writings brought alive by his spirit. As a people who are living to share the good news of Jesus, are we intentional about pointing people to God's specific revelation in the scriptures? 
or are we hoping that as general revelation, the wonder of the skies and creation itself will somehow do the trick? We've seen today that we do need, that the skies do declare God's glory. But the word of God, his law and his precepts, his decrees and commands, his specific revelation of his goodness and love is for us in the scriptures. There is a warning of the coming judgment. And church, that is life-giving for us. It helps us to walk in God's ways with joy and wisdom and hearts and eyes and minds shaped by our Lord so that the words of our lips and the meditations of our hearts might be pleasing in the sight of the one who is redeeming us. Why don't we pray? Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us, that you speak to us generally in your creation, that you have created order, and that we can see your hand at work in the beauty of the skies. We thank you even more that you have revealed yourself to us specifically in your laws. You've shown us what you're like and how you want us to live. You've helped us to see that we can never be right with you without Jesus. Lord, you are so good in revealing yourself to us like that. Would you please set our hearts on fire when we open and read your word in the power of your spirit? Would you please give us hearts and minds which are attuned to what it is that you're saying? And when we're walking on the wrong path, Lord, away from you, would you use your word as a warning sign to bring us back to your ways? Lord, most of all, we pray that you would fill us with wonder at your goodness as we think about how you've revealed yourself to us as our loving God who redeems us and makes us more like you every day. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. If you'd like to connect with more of our online content at Holy Trinity in Richmond, you can do that by going to our YouTube page simply by searching for Richmond Anglican Aotearoa. You can also touch base with us online at our website or on Facebook by searching with those same words. Friends, we're so thankful that you've joined us online and that you're enjoying our content. We really do hope and pray that God is blessing you through it. If you've got any feedback, you can touch base with me, zane at richmondparish.nz. Thanks so much for listening. Music